If you go down I-75 into the state south of here, you go through a, a little town north of Dayton. It's called Vandalia, Ohio. I suffered through my junior high years in Vandalia, Ohio. I had a paper route. I delivered the Dayton Journal-Herald real early in the morning. Whenever I drive down I-75, I look over to the right and I can see one of the houses that was on the outskirts of my paper route. I had a pretty simple life back then in the summer, in the spring and summer, in the early fall, I would always check the, the standings first to see if the red legs were where they stood in the standings. That's back when they were winning all the time. And then I would deliver my papers. On Saturday, I would collect my paper out. It was 60 cents a week to get the Dayton Journal-Herald six days a week. This Christmas time was special because when you would collect the paper out, you would sometimes get special gifts from your customers. They would have little peanut butter balls that were round. You know what they call those. Little round peanut butter balls. I'm not saying what they call them. I'm just saying they had those. And uh, treats and goodies and little certificates for free stuff. I was collecting one night just before Christmas. It was cold. The snow was coming down. And I had a few more houses to collect. And I thought, I just want to get these done so I could be home in my warm house. Back then, you know, if you got a dollar tip or if you got some cookies, that was great. I went to a house. It wasn't the nicest house on the route. And a man came to the door that was just especially in a party mood. He was just kind of loud and boisterous and happy. And he said, the paper boy is here. And he gave me a $5 tip. You don't forget stuff like that. When the total... You make $15 a week and you get a $5 tip. That's something you remember for a long time. I hurried home and I said to my dad, this guy came to the door. He was real loud and crazy and he gave me a $5 tip. And my dad said, you probably should take it back. And I said, why? And my dad said, because he was probably drunk. <laughs> I've like, never seen anybody drunk before. I kind of liked it. Just kidding. It really kicked me in the gut, though. I thought, oh. I thought about the little children that I saw when I looked into the living room. And I thought, you know, in my happy, secure Christmas world, there wasn't really all that much trouble. But not very far from where I lived, there was trouble at Christmas time, right? And the world that we live in is, is a troubled world. It's trouble to the core, even at Christmas time. And all of us know this. It's not, it's not a new thing. And we could start listing the troubles in our world. We could talk about the political turmoil, and we could talk about the lack of conviction and, and character, not just in politics, but even in the pulpit in a lot of cases. We could talk about all kinds of things about our time that disappoint us. One pastor complained once. He said, the world is passing through tremulous times. Young people today think of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents of old age. 
They are impatient of all restraint. They talk as if they know everything. And what passes for wisdom with us is foolishness with these young people. As for the girls, they're forward, they're immodest, they're unwomanly in speech and behavior and dress. These words were written by Peter the Hermit in a message preached in the year 1274. So trouble isn't something new. I do think we're kind of in a unique time of trouble in our nation, and honestly, based on where our nation's been and where it's going and the privileges that we've had and how we squandered the truth, we, we live in a troubled world. But there's something behind all the trouble in the world. And the thing behind all the trouble in the world is a thing called sin, according to the Bible. Now, in our series, you know, last week, we're talking, about, we're talking about Jesus, what a wonderful child, and the wonderful names given to the child Jesus. And last week's name was Emmanuel. You've been thinking about God with you all week long. I just know that. And today we're talking about the name Jesus. The name Jesus. That Mary didn't give baby Jesus his name. Joseph didn't give baby Jesus his name. God gave baby Jesus the name Jesus for a very important reason in this week. I think it would be really healthy, really hopeful, really useful for us to think about the name Jesus and what it means, to think deeply about the name Jesus and what it means. I heard once a pastor who said that he preached a message early in the year and the message had no application in it whatsoever. You know, if you come here regularly, we, we try to apply top to bottom. But this pastor said, I just preached on the passage in Isaiah 6, the Lord, high and lifted up. And I just described the greatness of God. And I didn't give any application at all. All I did was I felt led of the Lord, he said, to describe the greatness of God. And that's all that he did in his entire message, probably almost an hour long, he went on about the greatness of God. He didn't make any personal application to any particular individual situation in the church, and he just quit. A few months later, a young couple came to him, and they said to him, Pastor, there's something that we need to tell you. We've been going through a horrifying time. Our little girl was molested, and it's just been the most horrifying time in our life. And he said, I'm sorry to hear that. They said, Pastor, we just wanted you to know the thing that's gotten us through was that message that you preached early in the year about how great God is. Now, you know that we believe in giving application, but the Holy Spirit applies better than we do. And I just want to tell you what I'm trying to do here in the month of December leading up to Christmas is just talk about Jesus. Talk about the wonderful aspects of his character and who he is. Just put him before you. Because whatever it is that you're facing, or whatever it is that you're tempted with, or whatever it is that you're doubtful about, or whatever trouble crushes your heart, a view of Jesus is high and lifted up will be a a powerful help to you. There's trouble in the world, and behind the trouble in the world is the big trouble behind the trouble in the world, and that is sin. Now notice this, in our text today is Matthew and chapter 1, and that beautiful part of the Christmas story where Joseph has a dream and there's an angel in the dream, the birth of Jesus, this is Matthew 1.18, took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, was a a just man or a righteous man. He was unwilling to put her to shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And verse 28 says, and they called his name Jesus. Jesus, which interpreted means Savior. Jesus is the Joshua word from the Old Testament, Yeshua. That means Savior. The name Jesus means conquering, deliverer, Savior. So the angel in a dream says to Joseph, call him Jesus because he's going to save my people. And he didn't say he's going to save my people from a bad political situation. He didn't say, I'm going to save my people from other religions. I'm going to save my people from Rome. He said, I'm going to save my people from the sins of other people. He said, I'm going to save, he will save the people from their biggest problem was sin. The trouble in the world, all the, think of that, all the trouble in the world and all the trouble in your own home, and all the trouble in the church, and all the trouble in any church, anywhere, is because of sin. And the Bible says that Jesus came to save us from sin, and we don't think about that enough. Today we're going to think about that some, and we're going to think a, a little bit about the aspects of salvation. There is a plan that Jesus put into place to save, and we like to call it salvation. That's the name of the plan to deliver. Jesus' plan to deliver is called salvation. And when you think of salvation, you probably think mostly about something that happened, I hope, in your past. If you're saved, and that's a very, very biblical term, all throughout the New Testament, this term saved is used. People get saved, meaning delivered from their sin. You think about that usually, if you will, in the past tense, but the Bible talks about salvation past and it talks about salvation present and it talks about salvation future example in ephesians 2 and verse 8 it says by grace you have been saved that's in the past when were you saved you may not be able to say i have a specific time in my life that i came to believe that jesus died for my sins and i turned from my sin repented of my sin and believed in jesus you may not be able to pinpoint the time that happened in your soul, but there, if you're saved, there was a time when you passed from death into life, and you passed from, now, you, you, my father, for instance, my father, his name is named Kenneth too, he was raised in a church that had a catechism, which had a lot of truth in it, but he never kind of put the, he could never connect the religious dots, even though it was there, he never was able to connect the dots when he got older, some Baptist people got up in his business. You know, they got in his face and said, are you saved? Baptists like to say that. Are you saved? Now, I'm glad they, they did because my dad needed somebody to kind of get in his face and say, are you born again or not born again? Are you saved or not saved? Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? This is a part of our heritage really as a church, and that is we like to be real plain and real specific and real direct about salvation. It's super important. You're either going to heaven when you die or you're going to hell when you die. You're either in your sins or your sins are on Jesus and you are free of your sins. And the moment that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you trust him 
them to pay for your sins. Your Bible says you pass from death unto life in the eyes of God. That's uh, the first part of salvation. But So the Bible talks about salvation is the past. You, by grace, you have been saved. But the Bible sometimes talks about salvation in the present. Like in Philippians, it says, work out your salvation as if it's an ongoing thing. There is a sense in which salvation happened in the past. There's a sense in which salvation is happening right now. And there's a sense in which you will be fully and completely and thoroughly and eternally delivered or saved from your sin in the future. For instance, in Romans 13, 11, your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. So there's a sense in which when a person believes in Christ unto salvation, they're saved like a, a fact that happened in the past. And there's a sense in which a person is being saved or being delivered from their sin. And there's a sense in which we'll be thoroughly and completely and ultimately de- delivered from our sin. Let's, let's look at these, there are some big theological words. First one here, the first aspect of our salvation, it, we often call justification. I'll take text from Romans to make this clear to you. If you have your Bible, you want to look at Romans 5.1. Notice what it says in Romans in chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, it says, being justified by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Paul is writing this. Paul has just written to the Roman Christians, and, he, and he's saying to them, you're justified. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a legal word. You're, you're declared righteous before God. By what? By religious good works? What does it say here? By faith. You, one is justified by what? According to the Bible, one is not justified by good works. It's justified by, by, according to the Bible. Okay, this was going to be a really short message, but now I have to be here for a while. No, I'm kidding. So we're justified by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is, this is the, 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 the past aspect of, of, of salvation. The way Jesus delivered from sin is Jesus' plan to deliver people from sin is, is from the penalty of sin is immediate, and this is called justification, is Jesus' plan to deliver you immediately from the penalty of sin. Do you get that? Don't get the impression. The Bible does not teach that you have to kind of be good and work your way into God's favor, and then he looks at you and goes, yeah, you go to heaven. Yeah, you're bad, you go to hell. That's in the popular culture. It's not in the Bible. What the Bible teaches is justification by grace through faith. You can study at, uh, Romans chapter 4. Read it very carefully. It's so plain. And chapter 5. Now, the next aspect is like an ongoing thing, and we call this sanctification. And the Bible calls this sanctification. There's a Greek word that's often translated sanctification or sanctifier. Sometimes it's tr- often it's translated holy or versions are, are holiness. But sanctification is Jesus' plan to deliver or save people from the power of sin progressively. So, you know, backing up, justification is Jesus' plan to save people from the penalty of sin immediately, and sanctification is Jesus' plan to save people from the power of sin progressively. The saved thing is a lot bigger than you might have been thinking. This salvation plan, this aspects of salvation, or the way Jesus saves, or the name, the little name for the baby, Jesus, may be much more meaningful than you thought. What would happen if you really, you really put your heart on that? 
then th- that's in, in Romans. You see this real clearly in Romans 6 and 7. Read that. You've got that in Romans 7. Remember, Paul is talking about how he says something like this. He says, I try real hard to do good, and I find I'm not doing good. And I want to do good, but something in me works in me to not do good. Anybody have, ever have an experience with God like that? I try to be good, but then I find myself being bad. Anybody have that experience? Well, of course, everybody has that experience. He said, oh, that's lost people. No, no, no. Lost people don't care about being bad. Saved people. Paul, in, I believe that, that very clearly in Romans chapter 7, in that horrifying passage where Paul is describing this, uh, this weight of, of the sin tugging on him, he's describing himself in, in a state of advanced spirituality. You see this in the writings of godly men and women over the years that have written about describing their Christian faith. They describe the closer they get to the Lord, the more they abhor their own sin and their own self, and the more they depend and the more they look on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And and so justification is Jesus' plan to save from sin immediately from the penalty of sin and sanctification is jesus plan to save progressively over a period of time from the power the ongoing power of sin and romans chapter 6 and romans chapter 7 talk about that Here, here's an example romans 6 22 but now that you have been set free from sin you have become slaves of god the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end eternal life the fruit you get leads to sanctification it's a bible word so the bible talks about justification that's salvation in the past sanctification which is ongoing experience of salvation from sin deliverance from sin and then it talks about glorification and this is in romans chapter 8 in that what we call the golden chain of redemption look at romans 8 you're familiar with this you know who doesn't know romans 8 28 but then it also says in verse 28 we know all things the, uh, for that for those who love God, all things work together for good to, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen, this is what they call the golden chain of redemption. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified... He also glorified, and in this case, Paul's reference to glorification includes the sanctification with it. It implies the sanctification with it. And that glorified is to be like it, like the Lord, in the state in heaven with the Lord and like the Lord, and no longer wrestling with sin. So glorification is Jesus' plan to deliver people from the presence of sin altogether. Can I get an amen right there? That's what it says in Romans chapter 8 in, the, in this beautiful chain, golden chain of redemption. This is Jesus' plan to deliver you. You need to think about that. When you think about that, all kinds of good things happen in you. When your family thinks about that, when you think, wait a minute, I'm saved, justified by faith, never can be lost again because I didn't save myself. I was saved by grace through faith. And then in the process of becoming saved, from sin from the power of sin in my life you can teach an old dog new tricks if he's a christian that's the theological way of saying that um it, it is, this is a so so sad. and then you have glorification which is like ultimately we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin this is what we have to look forward to so if you're a new christian and you're disappointed in yourself like oh 
after I got saved, I thought I would never sin again. Well, that's not what the Bible promises. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when you're justified, then you're in the process of sanctification. You're going to be in a dogfight now. You're going to be in a wrestling match now. You're going to be at war now against your sin. And the Holy Spirit's going to help you in that. These are the three. This is something to think about. So when the angel says to Joseph, call him Jesus, that's what he meant. He's going to save you from your sin. He's going to save his people from their sin. And he's going to do it thoroughly, past, present, and future. Can I say this? It's like a Russian doll. Have you ever seen those? You open it, and there's another one inside, and you open it, and there's another one inside, you open it. This is, our salvation is like that. It's infinitely a gift, infinite gift that just keeps giving to us. We keep opening it and finding new, new bits of it, new parts of it, new blessings. I had a lady once in the spring of the year she was standing in the door of the church and she looked into the parking lot and she saw her car sitting there and she was fumbling with her keys and suddenly to her own shock her car started by itself she said my car started when i pushed this button i didn't know it did that all winter long she had gone out there and scraped her windows and warmed up her car and she didn't know she had a little thing on her key fob she could have just been starting her car and waiting for it to warm up and then going out and getting in it of course she lived in the down river so somebody else would have probably got in and drove off with it but anyway the illustration is this you got stuff you have abilities that god gave you you didn't even know about and you sometimes are satisfied with like well at least i'm not going to hell Right? At least, I, at least I'm forgiven. Wait, wait, wait. There's, it's like the, I'm sorry to, to denigrate this great theological truth with this illustration, but it's like the midnight infomercial. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. There's more, there's more, there's more. There's so much more to your salvation than you ever thought there is. But do you realize it? Do you think about it? I had a girl had a lady in our church and she was a school teacher and she met another school teacher who had some had some confusion and spiritual confusion and ambivalence and so she said her name was jen she says jen why don't you come and visit our church so this young lady jen came to visit our church and she was a bit skeptical she'd been to church before but it never seemed like it really made any sense to her when she got to church i was preaching a message that i called getting saved over and over and over again now if you know me well you know that i believe the bible teaches that you get saved one time you sincerely and genuinely saved one time you might be confused about when you were saved but there's a but, the, but when you pass from death into life it's an eternal transaction right you know i believe that but but in the sense of this thing of going back and remembering that we're saved in kind of a poetic way i kept saying a person should get saved over and over and over again this is in the sanctification area you should keep going back and i said that that one sunday i said was there ever a time when you believed in jesus and then you knew you no longer had to answer for your sins, but that Jesus, and she said, you know, I had heard about sin, I'd heard about Jesus, I'd heard about the cross, but never, nobody ever made that plain. Not long after that, it was my privilege to baptize that young lady as a follower of Jesus Christ. And not long, and a, few, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, about a month or so ago, she sent me a picture. She, she married one of the boys of the church, and every time they have a baby, she sends me a picture she discovered that there's a difference between having kind of religious knowledge and being saved justified born again 
Are you saved? Are you justified? Are you born again? Or are you still going to have to answer to God for your sins? Someday you're going to die, and someday you're going to face God. And when you die and face God, you don't want to stutter your way through a list of your own good works. It won't do you any good. You want to appeal to God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have this justification, sanctification, glorification. Let me give you a, a, a bit of an illustration. Let's just have some fun. And let's just pretend Mark Havisto's here. Mark is a friend of mine. Let's just say I decide I'm going to be particularly generous with Mark. I mean, after all, he was the chairman of the pulpit committee, so he's always been very special to me. And I say, Mark, I want you to have, this is just an illustration. This is not really going to happen. Okay. But I say to him, Mark, I want to give you a gift. I mean, you've been a good friend to me. You and your wife, I, I want to give you a gift to the, a trip to the Holy Land. And, stay, and since it's a make-believe story, and it just stay, fly first class, and, and we're, you're going to eat good stuff, and you're going to stay in the very bottom. It's just my gift to you. And you're like, when are you going to give me that gift? And then I bring an envelope over to your house. I make a big thing, you know, and I hand it to you. Isn't this a fun story? And, and you open it up, and it's literally a, all expenses paid. Uh, you own a trip to the Holy Land. All expenses paid. That's kind of like salvation. Now, Mark and Carol are going, hmm, the Holy Land, where are we going to go first? And maybe we should be walking every day, because I hear there's a lot of walking, and there are maps I should look up, and oh, there's an interactive thing on the internet, and I'm studying that, and, I'm, and more and more, that, that's like sanctification. I'm working on it, I'm thinking about it. It's a, not a perfect illustration, but it's an example, and preparing. And then they finally they get on the flight, and they, they make their way over there, and, and they land, and they actually experience the Holy Land, and that's like you're there you see it before it was like pictures now it's like oh that's kind of the picture of glorification we should look at our salvation more like that we shouldn't just look back and go well i'm not going to hell and that's a good thing like wait a minute that isn't all that god wanted you to see about how beautiful it means for jesus to be your savior he wants you to know that you're delivered from the penalty of your sin but he wants you to experience deliverance from the power of sin in your life right now stop being so mean and crabby in the power of the holy spirit love whole this the 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 fruit of the spirit is is joy right oh stop being so ugly and prejudiced you know how people have this little ugly prejudice that they know not to express open christians do this a lot they have an ugly prejudice that they kind of got maybe from their family or how they're raised and they know it's not politically correct to talk about it but it's still there wouldn't it be wonderful if the Holy Spirit rooted that out of your heart and you lost that prejudice and you love people like Jesus loves people? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the people in your life that are always wincing when you come around because you have that uncontrolled tongue and that anger, that angry outburst, wouldn't it be wonderful if you got saved, really saved, and, and from that sin through sanctification, who here needs to be delivered from something? Jesus is a deliverer. Who here needs to be delivered from something? Jesus, is, Jesus means I'm coming to help deliver you from whatever the sin has cost you. It's almost like you have a check, but you haven't cashed it. Got a call. I got a call from, I'm kind of embarrassed. I got a call the other day from uh, the, uh, the title company, and they said, we gave you a check you didn't cash. I said, that's impossible. If my wife knows I have a check, it gets cashed. <laughs> She's very careful about that. No, I said, no, I, no, that, I, I don't, you don't owe me anything. And they go, yeah, we do. We have a record of it. We owe you money. And I, I'm like, they go, look at, go find the check and then go ahead and call us and go ahead and cash it. And I'm like, I don't have a check. 
And they said, well, we'll issue you another one. I'm like, okay. And then the lady is really chipper at the title company. That's my favorite title company. And she says, I'm going to send you a check, and it'll probably be there by Friday. Just happened to correspond with an exact need that one of our family members had. But I had money I didn't know I had. I was wondering, is there any more money out there that I don't know I have? <laughs> That's nothing. That, that ain't nothing. When we see the world the way God sees the world, and he says to us, you could have had so much more. You had checks that you never cashed. You didn't even think about. You could have overcome that sinful tongue of yours. You could have overcome that lust. You could have, you could have had a heart for me like you did. Salvation would have come to your house, but you were satisfied with just kind of barely getting over. The, a lot of people, are, I, I wonder, are you saved? Or are you just kind of inoculated against being saved by having enough religious knowledge that you say you're saved? Because I don't see that you have like a spiritual pulse, you know? You ever meet anybody like that? Are you that way? Do you, do you have a spiritual pulse? Do you really love God? Do you really know God? Do you really love the things of God? Do you really love what God loves and hate what God hates? <laughs> the word of God. God did a funeral. <coughs> did a funeral yesterday for a guy, uh, for a family fellow was, uh, he married a girl, said he was a Christian, but you know, he really wasn't. And then after they got married, he's like, yeah, I guess I'm not a Christian. And then so all their married life, she's trying to get him saved. And she said at one point, he came to a Christmas program. And the kids were in the Christmas program. They had three little kids that they loved, and they were all in the Christmas program. And this man was just, why? She said, I stood there and looked at him. And I thought, how can he not get saved right now? But he didn't. But you know, she told me her name is Evelyn. She said, Pastor, she says, but God told me right then he's going to get saved. A number of years, a few years ago, I, he had open heart surgery. I went to call on him in the hospital and I took an associate with me. I said, when we're driving up there about five o'clock in the morning, I said, this is going to be hard, but we need to, we need to talk to him about the Lord, even though they're going to be doctors and nurses and surgeons and technicians all around there. And it's going to be really, we got to talk to him about the Lord because he may not survived that surgery and it was we got in the room and things got really quiet i said do you mind if i have a word and they said well go ahead and i said I said lauren you know you, you're probably going to do fine they do the surgery a lot but if you don't survive the surgery are you going to be with the lord and he says i, I have I, I i am i trusted the lord his son was standing there who was at the funeral yesterday and he just looked at him like what i didn't know that what had happened was that his wife had some friends that were praying for him and they had visited him and one day they visited him and when they left he just got saved. Late in life, he got saved. And then after he got out of the open heart surgery, he was right there in church. He had a little oxygen tank with him. He was there every single Sunday. His wife said he started to read the Bible, even though he wasn't good at reading. He started to discover that he could listen to the Bible, so he started listening to the Bible. She said, every once in a while, I'll be talking to him, and he would say, honey, just a minute, I'm finishing up my prayers right now. He had a little prayer list that he was going through. He loved David Jeremiah on TV. And so he would sing to his wife, Jeremiah was the bullfrog. And that was, <laughs> he wasn't really sanctified. He was just starting, you know. And so he would sing to his wife, and she would say, oh, oh, Dr. Jar Jeremiah, right? And she would turn on David Jeremiah, and he would listen to the, the Bible being preached. He had a spiritual pulse. He loved to pray. He loved the Bible. He loved preaching. He loved going to church. His wife said, he never said, I love you. I would say, I love you. And he would say, well, you know, you know. 
She said after he got saved, his heart got a lot more tender, and he was starting to say, I love you. I said to his family while they were gathered yesterday, are you saved like he was? I want to say that to you. How saved are you? How serious are you about the Lord? What else really matters? Really? What in the world else really matters? Then Jesus came to thoroughly, completely, totally, and eternally save you from sin and all of its effects. And what should you do about this? What should this look like? I have some, 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 uh, some uh, suggestions for you. Okay, so if you're, if you're not, by the way, it's a little, little, if we're, a little uh, review slide. We're, we're justified immediately, we're sanctified progressively, we're glorified eternally. Now, now look here. here, here's some suggestions before we go today. First, if you're not saved, if I made this plain, believe in Jesus and trust him for your guilt and your sin. You, you don't have to you're not saved by the strength of your faith you're saved by grace through faith by means of god's work in you and so it's not like you this lauren that i did the funeral for yesterday lauren schuster he he for years he'd say i'm not good enough yet i'm not good enough and his wife would try to correct him that's you don't have to make yourself good to be saved you admit you're bad to be saved, and then God begins to work on making you good. He didn't, he didn't get that. That would have helped, would have saved him years if he would have gotten that early on, and he'd be able to walk with the Lord all that time and have a powerful influence on, on other people. So what should you do? This is a, next slide. You should be saved. You should rest in the righteousness of Christ. Now understand, this is, it's a one-time thing, but it's a thing you go back to. Let me just say this quickly. My brother Kevin and I, I went up to Camp Barakel. He's working up there. And we're having lunch last summer, and, and I say to him, we're both preaching. He's preaching on, to one group of, of techs and engineers, and I was preaching to the campers. And I said, he said, what are you preaching on? I told him, I said, what are you preaching on? He said, well, here's what I'm going to tell the kids. And I, and I thought this was powerful. He said, I'm talking to young men. He was talking to young men. And he said, when I was a young man, I had this, this, this uh, personal failure I was struggling with. It's true with me, true. It's personal failure that I was struggling with, and it made me feel like I wasn't saved. Like, how can I fall back into the trap of lust over and over again and still be saved? And he says, I kept thinking about my sin and my failure, and that would come back up again. I would think, how can I be saved if I fail over and over again? He said, and then I began to realize that salvation is looking to the righteousness of Christ. We're saved when we look to the righteousness of Christ. And we're saved not by our own righteousness, but by His. And so if we spend all of our time thinking about our personal failures, then we're looking at whose righteousness? We're looking at our own lack of righteousness instead of Jesus' righteousness. And so it's a thing, you know, to be saved immediately, but, to, but as you walk with the Lord, to keep looking back and reminding yourself, I'm saved by grace through faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And don't look on your own righteousness, but look on His righteousness. Your righteousness will fail over and over again in different ways. And the, the closer you get to the Lord, the more conscious you will be of that. But His righteousness is, is limitless. And so that's the first thing. And the second thing then would be this, obey the impulses of the Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit. This yields the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is the process of sanctification you say i i when you think baby jesus name it means jesus name means saved or delivered from sin and you got to keep being delivered from sin over and over again so i would say rest in the righteousness of christ over and over and over again and obey the promptings of the holy spirit in the power of the holy spirit over and over again in the bible that's called walk in the spirit 
And, and if you recall in the past, we've taught this, you know, we talked about the different means of, of, of work. You're, you're working towards sanctification, but it is imp- inspired and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. You, you, the, the Bible teaches throughout that you actually exert personal effort to be holy. You try hard. You work hard, but you also recognize that that impulse comes from the Lord, and the power comes from the Lord. So you're not perfected by your hard work, but your hard work is a part of, is this, it's, it's, it's an it's a important part of it, but th- you realize that hard work is inspired by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you see that happening, you may not see your progress really fast, but there will be progress made because God isn't going to not finish a job he started. And if you're born again, he started to bring you into likeness to his son. And he's going to, and, but the, the pace of the progress will depend uh, in large part on you. And this is what I'm pressing uh, upon you, and that's to encourage you in that. And then to hope is really to look forward to like that ultimate salvation and say, all of my life is looking forward to uh, building my life on the promises of God, which culminate eternally in, in, uh, in, in, in the glorified state. There was a man in the Bible, and he was a thief, and he was uh, dishonest. But something in his heart, and his story is told in Luke chapter 19, and something in his heart began to stir when he heard about Jesus. And he wasn't a very tall man. Maybe you've heard his story in the Bible, right? And so when Jesus comes through Zacchaeus, he goes to his house. And Zacchaeus repents of his sin, and Zacchaeus believes in Jesus. This is in Luke 19. In Luke 19 and verse 9, people are complaining that Jesus is hanging out with his bad dude, Zacchaeus. And Jesus says to them, salvation came to his house today. You remember the song? For I'm coming to your house today. Salvation came to his house. Salvation came to his house. Jesus said that. Salvation came to his house. And everything was different after salvation came to Zacchaeus' house. <laughs> Instead of stealing from people, he was a giver. Instead of being blasphemous and dishonoring God, he was, he was honoring. Instead of dis- dismissing Jesus, he believed in Jesus and wanted to hear Jesus. Says, salvation come to your house. Because it makes all the difference in the world when salvation comes to your house over and over and over again through justification, through sanctification, through glorification. December of 1941 was a dark Christmas. There in southern Ohio, there was a, there was a woman who lived there with her husband and her children, three children, and they were poor people and they lived on uh, kind of the other side of the tracks. And he was a factory laborer and she was a homemaker and they dabbled with religion but they really didn't understand it. In December of 1941, they were just recovering from the Great Depression, and now the, the, the United States was on the brink of being plunged into World War II and the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. On Christmas Eve, her little boy, my dad, woke up in the night. He's just a little boy, and he couldn't find his mom. He looked all throughout the house, and she wasn't there. It was Christmas Eve. Dad was at work, and she was gone, and he was scared. So without even putting on his clothing or without even putting on his shoes, he, he looked all through the house, and he couldn't find her. And then he went outdoors, and he looked, and he thought maybe she'd gone over to the neighbors. And so in his little bare feet in the snow, he walked over to the neighbors. In his little confused little boy heart, he didn't understand, but he felt like Something was wrong. He looked up and he saw 
he knocked on the door and his mom was sitting in in the neighbors she's spending some time with the neighbors and she's had a little something she's drinking she put it down real quick and she looked sad and guilty and she says okay let's we need to go home he says he's not sure what was going through her mind he thought maybe she just felt bad that she'd left him alone that night and she hurried home and she put him in bed it wouldn't be for years before that family understood anything about what Christmas was really all about. My dad would go off to the Navy and somebody would press salvation upon him. He got saved. He went home and he talked to his mom and dad and grandma. She got saved. Read a gospel tract and she got saved. Way late in life, she lived with mom and dad. And just before she died, he was talking to her about that Christmas Eve that he remembered. And she got a sad look on her face. She said to him, Kenny, if we had known the Lord back then, things would have been so different. If we had known the Lord, things would have been so different. I wonder how different things will be when you really know the Lord in a deeper way than you've ever known him before. You know what's possible. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are Jesus. That you came into the world, this dark, sad, burdened, perverted, twisted, confused, troubled world. And you came to save sinners from our sin. We're so thankful. And I pray, Lord, even this week, that each of those who've been here at church and sung the songs and heard the preaching that you'd help us to go deeper into our salvation than ever before. That salvation would come to our house over and over again and make everything beautiful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.